This is the CMS Colloquium Podcast, produced by the Comparative Media Studies Program at MIT. For more information about Comparative Media Studies or on the Colloquium series, visit us online at cms.mit.edu. Quickly, uh, welcome to Cloakman. Um, uh, this week we're looking at, at viral marketing. Um, uh, the consortium, the Convergence Culture Consortium, are doing some work trying to deconstruct or understand what it, it, it is and what it means and why it might be useful or why it might be silly. Um, we think it, it's in some way indicative of or the, the, the emergence of the concept and the current kind of... Um, the energy over the last couple of years uh, about this as, a, as an effective strategy, um, which, you know, it's non-traditional, it's, it's, um, it's viral. Um, as a way to, to understand what's going on, we think is indicative of some larger shifts. So what I did today was invite two lovely people who I've met previously, um, uh, Mike, who was here at, at FOE, and Natalie, who was here at, at FOE as well, um, both of whom work, quote-unquote, in the field to, to sort of just talk it through. Um, Chen Yu is a, is a fellow from the, the Berkman Center um, who did some work. She works with us um, in an uh, extended fashion uh, in the consortium. She did some work um, uh, on the topic back in 2003, so I thought I might just get into a moderated <laughs> discussion. Okay. So um, this is going to be freeform. I'll get these guys to introduce themselves in a second. It'll be a moderated discussion. I think we'll take questions throughout, so if you'd like to ask questions throughout, that's cool. Um, otherwise, we will aim for about 40 minutes before we turn the whole thing over to... Uh, questions. Um, okay, I'm going to sit down. So, thank you both for, for, for coming. Um, thank you for flying all the way from across the river. Yeah, well, and you are. Flying away from the other side of the country. Yes. And, <laughs> excellent. Okay, so, cheers. Great, well, thank you very much, Josh. Um, well, um, welcome everybody, and welcome here. Um, maybe we can introduce ourselves, uh, like, you know, who you are, what your background is, where you work, and what kind of stuff you work on. So, Mike, you want to... Sure. Um, my name is Mike. I'm an art director at the Barbarian Group. Um, we're an interactive design company. We do mostly contract work, uh, bulk of which is for ad agencies. Um, we're doing more work directly with clients these days. Uh, sort of still in an advertising capacity most of the time, but not always. Um, yeah, that's the basic gist of what we do. Uh, we're based here in Boston. We have an office in New York about equal size and then a smaller office in San Francisco. Uh, about 50 people large at this point. And uh, my name is Natalie, and I this week started um, heading up marketing and doing some business development for a website called finista.com. Before that, as of last Friday, I worked in business development for a viral marketing firm called Fanscape, which does a lot of non-traditional media and works with agencies like Barbarian and and a bunch of sort of the bigger and smaller ones to help them blow out all the really cool design work that they're doing online. Cool. Well, um, I'm Senya. Um, I do uh, indeed work here with, uh, or I'm affiliated with uh, CMS, with the consortium. And I'm a fellow at the Berkman Center, Harvard Law School. Um, but I have uh, indeed done some work in marketing. I actually worked in business development myself for uh, Wheel in London, which is now part of LBI International. And um, I've done some, some campaigns as well in Japan on, on viral marketing a long time ago. So I will have a historical perspective <laughs> on viral marketing. Um, so um, I would love to have it as an interaction. Um, so if you have questions throughout, just, you know, just start talking or raise your hand or, or something. Um, 
So maybe we can start first by uh, by figuring out like what do we actually mean by by viral? What what does it contain? What are the reflections of of how do you how do you would define viral? Um, so I don't know who, who would like to start with that. Um, I always when I was in in school and um, I was just down Memorial Drive a little bit, but we we read the Tipping Point as part of my media and uh, media studies class that I took, and I just was obsessed and thought it was the coolest thing ever. So when I first understood what viral marketing was, it was you know something that where the marketing messaging is powerful enough that it actually then spreads through the population like a virus, a very traditional perspective of it. And um, that was sort of before I went to Fanscape, I had heard about them because they had done that. Um, wedding crashers tr crash the trailer thing. I don't know if you guys saw that when the movie came out, but it was where you could upload your pictures. It was sort of an earlier version of Elf Yourself. And everyone, like 50 million people, uploaded their pictures and passed it around. And it was this huge sort of thing that spread very organically, and no one really realized that they were helping market the movie themselves due to word of mouth. And so that was sort of my understanding of, of what viral was and went from there. Yeah, I mean, with us it seems that the best way that we've been able to wrap our heads around it is that anything anything that you think is cool enough to send to your friends, that's viral. You know, and it doesn't it could be something that's, you know, brand oriented or not. Just something that you think is entertaining basically or useful or something that's easy to sort of transmit to somebody else and that you have found it worthy to spend some time with. So, so what kind of what kind of viral campaigns have you worked on, or your agency that you thought were cool enough to to send out to your friends, and and stuff also that we've done? That, well, or or maybe stuff that you received that was for you cool enough to send on uh, or pass on to to your friends, or and and does well, it also is it related purely to the online environment? Um, well, I think with us and especially with our focus, I mean, being and beyond the company, just me being at the computer all day, uh, it is mostly limited to online. I right. think there's some, been some really cool ones that branch offline or have components offline. Um, but I mean, so far as specifics, I mean, there's something just about every day. I mean, you're always sending, you know, we're on instant messenger all day, links are flying back and forth, emails are going out, um, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of what I've come across in the last week that we had a good time with. Uh, Somebody just put uh, the original Super Mario Brothers into Atari coding, the 2600 coding, to show what Super Mario would look like back a generation of gaming. And that went around, you know, that's been the last couple of days. And like, it's, it's got no agenda, it's nothing but what it is, but it's making the rounds around, you know, people that we're talking to. So it's stuff like that. that like, it may only last for a couple of days, but everybody I know at this point has already seen it. So right. it's that that sort of spread. But but if you look at it, like what are what are the what does it have to contain? I mean, what what are the boundaries of, of the concept of viral? I mean, how do you know? Are there actually particular characteristics to make something viral? Do you think? Because obviously, there's agencies like yourself who who try to create viral marketing and, and put it out there. But when what are the the points to make it actually successful? I think with that example, it, I mean, it's different for everything. That one, it's it's purely nostalgia. It's, you know, the people who are interested are people who know the game, who know the system, and then know the system before it and can find that funny. You know, it's it's very much directed in that specific sort of vein. But, you know, that 
that works for that one idea. I think with everything that we ever sort of start thinking about who we're sort of aiming at, it's going to be different every time. Because right. you got to, again, you're sort of thinking who will find this cool. Like can you give, can, can, and, and Natalie yeah. as well, can you give an example of a, of a viral campaign and then talk us through what exactly, you know, the, from the moment you started out and heard that you had to, you know, come up with a campaign and how that all developed and what the viral aspects of it were in order to set it out in the marketplace? Well, just in terms of, of characteristics, I think nostalgia is a huge one. Um, sex, nudity, celebrities, humor. I mean, think of, like, everything that was in that Sarah Silverman video that I'm sure we all saw a couple of weeks with ago. With Matt Damon? Yeah, with Matt right. Damon. Um, <laughs> And then it takes on a whole other level. So we, when I was at Fanscape, we would often, like, consult companies, and they would say, hey, we have this video. Can you make it go viral? And we'd look at it, and we'd say, oh, well, you know, this isn't just, this is something that a few people are going to find compelling, but it's not something that people are going to find compelling enough to pass on to their friends. So, you know, animals, babies, like, there's a few things that I feel like, in terms of the pop culture phenomenon, are really easy to catch on. But something that's viral can also be as small as you know, working with a women's site, and there's a article that, you know, 2,000 women pass around to each other, and, you know, it's never going to be huge in the mainstream, but for these women that are the target audience for whatever brand it is, they find it extremely relevant, and they're sending it to all their friends, and anything that will engage people to start that word-of-mouth marketing on, on their behalf. So I think it runs the gamut. Right. And how, how do you, what are the limitations of viral marketing? I mean, what's the purpose of, of viral marketing? I think one of the big limitations is definitely accessibility and how many how many steps you have to go through to experience the content. You know, the easier it is to sort of get to it and get it to somebody else. Better, but a lot of times, you know, people want some sort of tracking where they're you know you need to log in or there needs to be some sort of account or you know this whole sort of step by step process before you get there. And the more the more that you have to do, the more that it sort of sets people apart from what you're trying to show them. Um, and I mean that's that in itself is a limitation. The limitation is then compounded by the needs of the people who want this done. You know, like if that sort of step by step process is important to making the campaign as a whole work, then that sort of boxes you in that much more. Um, I mean, then you get into sort of I mean, there's sort of like nuts and boltsy stuff. Like, are you trying to pass somebody something that is beyond their capacity to see? Like, it's uh, you know, your computer needs to be too too high end to be able to see it and then how much do you lose there like is it uh, you know browser dependent it's only going to work on certain sort of you know stuff like that um, right. which I mean that just comes down to like how much you know basic sort of quality control are you going to sort of introduce at the onset um, I mean there are specific limitations that come along with every sort of example that you come up with but you know there's it always comes down to like how easy is it to pass from one person to the other how big of a spread of people are going to want to see it in the first place. And then, you know, how does that piece fit into the bigger picture of that, right. it's, you know, especially brand-wise, that it needs to sort of slot its way in through? I think it's, it's very important to think about the target audience before you're sort of putting out this, this piece of content and know that if it gets seen by, you know, 50 million people, that's astronomical on any level. But if you're talking about trying to reach you know, college students who are fans of, you know, Nintendo or, or one of those things, you can do a lot of market sizing and there's great tools for doing that that anyone can use. Like on, if you go on Facebook, for example, they have that social ads platform and you can actually go on Facebook and you can say, I want to reach, 
it starts off with I want to reach 18 million people or it shows you the number and then you can put in keywords and it will say this is how many people you can reach with this and it's a tool that you can use for market sizing so you know for heroes which is I know a favorite of yours we were looking at doing some stuff and we could figure out instantly that there were 400,000 people on the Facebook that mentioned heroes as a favorite show so once you know sort of how big the target audience then you can set your expectations as far as what is a successful campaign right and how do you usually set those um, strategies and, and how what are your targets like wh how do how do you define success yeah. I think it's, <laughs> it's going to be different. Again, a, yeah. a lot of these comes back. Everyone sure, wants sure. something different. Um, and it depends who you ask, too. Like, for us, like, if somebody sends me something that I've either made or I've already seen, that, that to me, counts for a lot, you know? Right. Um, sometimes, you know, if the only way you have it, like, if it's a video and they want it on YouTube, you know, they're not going to get back a lot of sort of metrics to see, like, well, this many people saw the video and therefore came to the site. All you have to go on is how many people went and looked at the video in the first place. Um, so it's stuff like that. Like you sort of got to pick and choose like what's the most appropriate measure for each bit of work that you're doing. And if you know if it is the sort of thing where it's on a site or there is a click through, that's a lot easier for people, especially on the sort of marketing end, to sort of be able to measure. You know, like is that success in a sort of marketing sort right. of way? But I mean, you know, there's that whole sort of more holistic way, like, is it successful if everybody's seen it or everybody's talking about it, you know, and the more people that are seeing it and talking about it, regardless of whether it's actually working, we consider that a success as well, you know, like, it's, it's all about generating the buzz and the goodwill towards the brand through this viral piece rather than just, just looking at the sort of raw numbers that you can measure right. in the market and sort of that. Sure. And so, if it's so, what's it, I mean, what's it good for? Yeah. As opposed to, you know, a, a bus back out. I mean, as opposed to something out of house or putting something on television or, I mean, what, what is it actually good for, especially if it's so difficult in an industry that's so oriented around keeping a, a, a firm, firm checks on, you know, how the ad dollars returned, you know, spent or, or converted. What is, what is it good for? Well, I think it's um, it's multiple impressions. It's It's been multiple impressions since radio and TV, and that's why people buy spots on the traditional side on all these forms of media. But you can – I think that the stat is, and I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm slightly off, but it's 90% of consumers that convert online are reached by three placements before they convert. So it's figuring out what the best place is to reach them on that multiple impression side is. For some people, they think it's putting an ad in the New York Times, and that costs a lot of money. Um, it reaches a, a good chunk of people. I don't know how many people pay attention to it. You know, for us, I think that we would say that it's about finding somebody and having them engage with it. And if it's a smaller audience, but they really sort of feel that, that is makes them more likely. But it, it's still all about multiple impressions and sort of getting people to experience your brand. If you hear about it twice, that means, hey, this might be worth looking at. And it's that sort of buzz and awareness, just as much as it is actually driving the traffic. Yeah, and I think, you know, yeah, it, that's exactly right. And what it's good for is getting the word out with one cost. You know, like you you pay for this thing once, and then it sort of propagates itself. You know, but it's also very rare that you know you would push anything out the door that it's not going along with something else. You know, like you know, not everybody is going to entrust their entire campaign to one you know quote unquote viral piece. So you know, you've got the banners, you've got you know whatever print TV spots are going along with it, and that's all going to reinforce the campaign. But then there's this other thing that 
will basically be passed around for free and will sort of target the people who will want to see it rather than sort of, you know, relying on a media buy to sort of, okay, well, I know the people that want my product look at these sort of sites and I'll sort of you know, buy placement there. Um, so, you know, you sort of trust the enthusiasts to do a lot of the work for you. Just a, a kind of a question in this front end uh, vein. So we know that producers online are far outnumbered by users. And people in between are kind of the viral folks who just all they need to do is put, you know, forward and, and send it on. Do you have any, are there any rule of thumb in terms of what percentage of folks are sending things on? I imagine that varies a lot by community. Like my mom probably, well, she actually she sends a lot on, but, but you know, there are communities that are probably pretty active and some are less. How do you segment that? Do, do you have some sense of market segment in terms of people that are heavy duty engaged in viral activities and not? So, rule of thumb, and how do you think of your communities? I think, well, for us, we don't do any measuring of our own for the most part. So when measurements like that are important, they're usually given to us as part of the brief. Like, we know that this group of people really likes our product, and their, their behaviors are like this, and, you know, you can sort of guess from there. Um, I mean, you, it's, there's sort of the generalities that you can sort of stick to, you know, like people who are interested in video games are going to be a lot, you know, online and sort of talking about it a lot more than people who are going to be interested in, like, cooking, you know, like, just by the very nature of their interest being, you know, electronic-based and online in general. Um, but beyond that, I mean, you know, we generalize and we learn from what we've done before, but otherwise, you know, you sort of, you stick to the measurements from the people who are actually doing the measuring, which is not us. Um, yeah, that was sort of um, one of the big things that was the concept behind this the site that I'm now working for called Finista, which is word of mouth is arguably the most powerful form of marketing if you can get it to happen. And there are different verticals, like you said, that that works best in and that doesn't work as well in, you know. Um, and entertainment is one that I feel like 50% of the population talks about the latest movie they've seen or mentions the, the song that they heard that was really cool. So the idea behind Finista is there are sites that are e-commerce sites like Amazon who have great models, but if you're trying to buy a movie versus a flashlight, I want to know what my friend Joshua, who I feel like has great taste in comedic movies and is always recommending to me, I want to know what he says versus the aggregate that's on Amazon. So that's sort of the central idea is that you can apply that word-of-mouth marketing just across, and there's some other sites that do it well, like Yelp for food and restaurants, and I think there's different places that y you would investigate to go to sort of help make that word-of-mouth marketing happen, but I know it's like 3% of people are producers and 97% are the, are the consumers. I know that that's the step that I've heard. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a question over there. Sorry, uh, just to, to follow up on that just a little bit, when it comes to trying to sell viral marketing services to clients, uh, do you find first off that, that it's more them coming to you, or is it sort of viral in and of itself? You say, did you see what so-and-so did? This is what your company should be doing. How do, how do you pitch this sort of thing? I think for us it's a, it's a bit of both. Like if we see something that we really like that will provide at least a good frame of reference, we'll offer it up as sort of an example. Um, but, I mean, more often than not, a company will come to us and say, well, we want something viral. And that's, you know, <laughs> like, okay, that's, that's well, it, it doesn't really help us, but it sort of guides our thinking, you know, like, okay, well, they, they want something, you know, so. But, I mean, that's, that's usually how it breaks down. So when it comes to, like, sort of 
pitching specific ideas. I mean, I like to say we do our best to not rip anybody off. And, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it just comes down to how much time you have to explain it. You know, if it helps to sort of point to an example and say, it's going to be like this, but we're going to change these things, and this is sort of what we're doing, then that helps. But otherwise, you know, you just sort of sit down with them and say, well, we want to build something that will be like this, and it'll work like this, and it'll be you know, attract these people. So, yeah, it, it, does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. I think Josh. <laughs> in, in which case, does uh, does it have a look then? And and I, and I know that you guys do a, a lot of a lot of video stuff and and a lot of uh, your website design stuff. So so when some when I come to you and I run whatever random X company and I say I want something that is viral, am I usually asking for something that looks like something, or instead, am I asking for something that that works in a particular way? You know, because the definition. Sorry, I'll go on a little bit. Um, the, the the definition that we started with was was one that was all about pass along. You know, pass along recommendations from your friends, referrals. So how something moves through a, through an ecosystem. I'm wondering whether um and and I wonder if you can speak to this next, Nat. Well, um, you know, whether people expect viral to look like something or to be a certain thing? I think it depends on the person. Some people have this sort of preconceived notion of what what it is. Or they, they come to us and say, well, we really liked such and such. We want something like that, you know. Um, so far as, like, so it's not so much a look as the form it's going to take. Like, maybe they want, they know they want video. And they think the video is the way to go, and that's viral to them. Um, some people, it's, it's more in depth, you know. It's going to be like, well, we want people talking about it. We want like blogs and you know, whatever uh, games. You know, that's another one. But all of this stuff, it can be, it can be any of these. Sometimes people know what they want. Some people they want to, you know, they want to be told what they want. Um, so far as whether we stick to a form or we have something to offer them first, it's not usually. Um, you know, we'll we'll think of the brand. We'll think of what we think will work best, and we'll we'll offer them solutions in that sort of direction. Um, and then, so far, the, so far as what that looks like or what that'll be, that that comes later usually. You know, like beyond the raw format and how it will work. Um, and I mean, look in that sense, as so far as like a design to it. You know, like um, which I know isn't exactly what you're asking about, but just sort of like the way that that'll be presented. And that often comes back to, you know, what what else are you doing? Do you want it to look like your marketing push at the time? Do you want it to just be whatever it is and sort of just let it be on its own? How important is the branding? Stuff like that, and that all plays into this choice of you know what it's going to be in the first place as well. And then you got something to add? Or? Yeah. Well, what we learned is that, and I, I think that the difference between Fanscape where I was and, and Barbarian Group is they do a lot more on the pushing outside. So we would get work with you to develop a video, or we might do it in house. But where we our emphasis and sort of where they're big value add is, is in finding the places to put it. And so what we get a lot is, well, I just want to put my viral video on YouTube. And there's like 200 user-generated sites that you can put out content on, and a lot of them would work better. So for example, we had a client that had done a DVD about marching bands, and they wanted to push that out, and they were like, oh, well, let's just you know put a clip on YouTube or something like that. And what we what we found in the course of our research was there are three user-generated content sites devoted solely to college marching bands. And so that's the place that you want to go with that type of stuff. 
especially if you're looking for conversions, you know, because you can put it on YouTube and, and maybe a bunch of people will see it, but they're not going to click over. And we're seeing this a lot with there's those companies that are saying, hey, hire us and pay us and we'll get you a million views on YouTube and we don't work for less than 100,000 views on YouTube. But if you actually follow through and you look at the click-throughs from those exact companies that you hear about, it's like 10 clicks for 500,000 people. And that's not, I mean, that's a successful campaign in terms of maybe a lot of people saw that video, but in terms of actually customer retention and stuff like that, it really depends on, on what their exact goals are. And that's why on the business development side, it was always really important to figure out, do you want traffic? Do you want people to buy your product? Do you want tune in, you know, whatever it is, so that we can figure out the best way to do it. I think that raises a, a good point that we hit a lot, too. It's just like, it's, it's to the point where, you know, you've got viral and you're sort of like viral just by the sort of definition is something that will get passed around from people. But, you know, they, they ask us like, okay, well, how will people see this in the first place? And it's sort of like, you know, well, you kind of hope that people will tell each other, but then you have to start looking to other companies. Like, well, how can we target the at least the sort of inset of this, like, you know, project, you know, to the people who want to see it, you know? And pushing it to the right, you know, sites or message boards, or including it in the right media buys and stuff like that. So even the viral needs a campaign of its own to sort of at least get out there in the first place. Which is, it's more tricky than it used to be, definitely. It's definitely. Right. We have a question. Yeah. Um, a couple of questions. You addressed this a little bit already, but how do the viral campaigns relate to the traditional uh, mainstream media campaigns in general? Like. You said that in some cases you integrate more to them or not. And then the other question is, what different platforms are you using for viral? I mean, you mentioned a few of them. You talked about vlogs and videos. And What are the strengths or weaknesses of each one of them? Um, um, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. Yeah, just start somewhere. <laughs> start somewhere. Um, <laughs> I've already sort of, in terms of, of platforms, let's start with number two. Um, there's blogs, there's message boards, there's social media, which is sort of a term that's now being thrown around to mean MySpace and Facebook and all those and all those places. A question: What did you do before the whole MySpace, YouTube, and so on? Was well, there was there viral marketing? It was a lot of message boards, right. and um, you know, like Fanscapes had started out as a music company, so. Mm-hmm. They played into the punk audience, and those people are on message boards like nobody's business. And they're also, like, in terms of, of the tone, they're probably the most um, opinionated when, you know, someone's coming into their space. And that's why, you know, we always preach 100% transparency because if you go into one of those boards and you're like, oh, my gosh, I love the, you know, Green Day album or something like that, they can tell you're fake. No one's that stupid. And... Um, you know, you get charged with astroturfing, and there's all these terms for it now, but, you know, they're just writing expletive you, expletive you, like, get out of my place. And so, like, it's really important to pick the right format. For a lot of the older generation, they're still on message boards because of Facebook and MySpace, and those are too complicated, and they don't like people seeing their stuff. So it really depends where you're going to go. But I think that those are some of the ones that we use a Yeah, lot. I mean, and just to answer, I mean, before 2.0 or whatever, you know, we <laughs> built websites, you know, right. like, <laughs> there, there was a URL, and you send somebody to it, and there was something there. Right. You know, like it didn't always have to be a part or something. <laughs> like um, I mean, so far, like platforms for us, um, whatever. You know, like 
We know what we're good at. You know, there are certain things. What are you good at? Um, well, I know what we're not good at. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's, that works, too. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, after a certain point, like, we'll want to work, like, for video, for example. Like, we love doing video, but our capabilities are limited. So if it's something, like, really big, you know, or really in-depth, you know, we'll direct and we'll sort of take the reins, but we're going to hire people to help us get it right, you know. Well, uh, you know, the difference between an interactive director on that point and the actual director of the video, you know, like maybe we need, we need someone with a better eye. Um, or at least a better sort of head on the sort of running a crew because you're going to need to hire the whole production company, stuff like that, you know. doesn't mean we won't do it, but we need to sort of, we need, you know, to s sort of share that sort of job. Um, what else are we not good at? Uh, <laughs> We're, we've been thinking more and more about like actual game development and getting stuff onto like game consoles like Xbox and uh, the Wii and stuff like that. Um, we're not a game shop, you know, and we've got the enthusiasm, we've got ideas, but the skills and you know actual game design, you know, there are people who are on circles around us in their basement, um, you know, stuff like that. Like we're we're an interactive design company and we're good at what we do, but beyond that, we know when we need to stop and hand it off to somebody. So. Within you know the confines of the web, um, you know it's all fair game. Anything we don't know how to do right away, we can learn how to do it. Um, we're definitely you know ambitious like that. But again, we there are those sort of arenas that are you know fair game for marketing and for you know any sort of project that we want to do. But you know, we're, we're better with the ideas at that point. Right. And I think the people that are, are really good at this stuff are always sort of experimenting and, and going to the next level. You know, ARG is something that people are now just starting to toss around. Um, I know Guinness had done a really cool program a little while ago, and everybody, I think, saw, the, a lot of people saw the Nine Inch Nails one, which was, I think, offline and off online. But the idea is that if everybody, that if all of your clients know about the format, then you should be doing that, but you should also be taking it a level further. Like, I remember I saw some, like, plug-in you guys did on iTunes, like a visualizer or something, and just did not think that that was something that an interactive agency would have done at all, but thought it was really cool, and the idea is to always be, like, two steps ahead of right. the curve. Right. There's a other question. So what if the audience... Do we get part one? Uh, I know there were two parts. I only talked. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh. But, yeah, it was... Uh, Oh, yeah, I mean, that one, sorry. I, that's a, it depends if that's what they want or not. Sometimes they want something that just stands on its own. Sometimes it's really important that the branding be there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it also depends on the sort of project you're doing. Like, it's really easy to make a game that has a little logo on the corner, um, and that's not really intrusive and doesn't really matter. Uh, product placement in the video thing is a little more tricky. It's just about how tactical you want to be. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, it's it's tough to generalize because it really does depend on how important that is to people. Branding in general sort of, you know, it spooks people, and, you know, nobody likes to be hit over the head with being marketed to, you know, nobody. It's a, it's a, it's a cynical sort of group of people who are going to want to sort of be as far away from branding as possible a lot of times. So people take that into account and they say, okay, well, we accept that much as sort of the cost of getting more people to see it. But not everybody's okay with that. It all depends. All right. So what if the audience find that or, like, feel that it is actually a viral marketing ad or videos? Will that have actually a 
bad influence on the effect of the viral marketing strategy? Like, that? like are people turned off by viral? Yeah, because yeah, they feel probably it's actually faked. It's not a pure entertainment video and that. Yeah, sometimes. Um, yeah. I mean, people see stuff that uh, they just think it sucks and they know it's an ad and they'll take it out on you as best they can. I mean, do, do as much as we hear from anybody. Yeah, I was wondering, do, do you get um, responses out of the from, from consumers anywhere? Like, I hate your we, ad or yeah, whatever. I, I mean, if we get hate mail, I never see it. Um, we, uh, but also we work for other people, so maybe sure, they get sure, hate mail. Sure. Uh, there are, there have been occasional projects where we're doing something where there is an email sort of interaction. We're sort of grabbing email, and we, there's some good stuff in there. Um, but I mean, the people who really care with the stuff that I'm thinking of anyway, they were like, they were 13 year old kids who just, you know, they were into the idea of being onto the. The sort of thing like people like to know when they're when they've got it, you know. Like, because I mean, it's not always your goal to be tricking anybody, but if people smell anything weird or anything's afoot, they like to they'll call you on it, and they, you know, it sort of becomes a game, you know. Um, so you know, the, there's that. I mean, people who care will, you know, is, you know, who writes the angry letters to the editor? Like somebody always cares, but we don't get to hear from them all that often. Maybe that's for the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if you're if you're really transparent and you always have the logo where it needs to be, or or it's not a secret, or you know you have a press release that you know goes around too, people are going to be respectful. And there's you know whole organizations like there's one called WOMA, which is the Word of Mouth Marketing Association. And if you're in it, you have to pledge to be 100% transparent. And you know, that doesn't always say, hey, I am doing a marketing campaign for this, but it's just like, hey, guys, I'm working with this company to help talk about this. And I think it also is, if you're getting a ton of negative comments, then maybe you're not talking about it in the right place because the whole idea is that it's supposed to be very organic. And, you know, it's, if you're in a message board and you're getting a ton of negative feedback, then maybe you picked the wrong place to go for that particular campaign. I have sort of a related question, actually, about control. Um, Facebook's been getting a little bit of attention lately because some of the applications uh, require you to spam all of your friends to see results yeah. of a quiz or something like that. Um, and on TechCrunch, I was reading that, that, that they were sort of accusing Facebook of pulling a Plaxo or that, you know, using those, those viral techniques that don't allow people to control the spread very much. And I'm just curious on your takes on how much control you need to give people and if those more sort of, you know, sort of behind-the-scenes almost spamming, if you will, do th does that ever work? And, you know, do you think there's ever going to be some level of acceptance or is it just never worth doing? And what's sort of the line between that and, you know, just making it easy to pass along? Um, I think there's two parts to what you were just asking based in sort of, like, there's the how much are people, people who are paying for this stuff to be done, let's say, uh, willing to sort of let go and just let, let the web do its thing? You know, and sort of letting go of control in that way, and then the whole sort of like spamming. Um, I mean, with Facebook, like yeah, it's annoying, but it's sort of the way it's always been, so far as I can remember. With applications there, like it always asks you, like, do you want to send it to all these people, and you know, uncheck the boxes, and you know, stuff like that. Um, I, I, I don't know. I've always found it hard to take that sort of thing personally, just because like it's Facebook. I mean, like it's. People are putting this stuff up there. That's the only way they're going to get their message spread is to have more people within the confines of this 
social network actually using their application, you know? So, I mean, beyond sort of looking at things in people's newsfeed, like the only way is to send it to other people, and that's a convenient place to sort of have that at the onset. It's not like they're constantly bothering you about, like, hey, do this thing again and again and again, sort of like. So, I mean, it's, as a user, it kind of sucks, but, you know, it's, I don't know, it's smart. It's, the, I don't know, it seems functionally like an okay way to go about it because you can always ignore it. If you really want to know what somebody, like if someone has a crush on you, then, yeah, use the application. And the only way to find out is to install the same thing. Like, whatever. Um, the other... <laughs> Go ahead. I mean, <laughs> no, I was saying, how, how do you lower those barriers? Well, I mean, you know, what's well, it's all like. What is it? It's all about the cost of participation. You know, like how much do you want to open yourself up? Like how much do you care? I guess mm -hmm. is what what comes down to. You know, like because there's no pressure for you to click to install the application to see what so and so said about you. And if it's important for you to know, then that's the cost. You have to be running the same program. And if you sort of detach that idea from the idea that it's Facebook or, you know, it's supposed to be this open sort of social sort of thing, that's not, to me anyway, an unreasonable thing to ask. Like, if if I was running a just a program on my computer that could, in turn, sort of talk to other programs, it makes sense at that point that if you want to interact with the program I'm running, you need that program too. So, I mean, it's all about, they're all applications, and that's what they're labeled as, and, you know, there is... There's got to be ways to spread the word about it one way or the other. Um, I mean, but again, it's annoying, and that's that's part of it too. It's all again, if you really want to know, then that's that's what you got to do. Um, I think Facebook got in trouble mostly because it was opt out versus opt in, and that's one of the things that they really, you know, no one would have had a problem with it. And if you're choosing your friends that you want to send it to, again, like. Making things opt-in versus opt-out, I think, is is just a, a really, really, really quick, easy way. You know, it definitely decreases the virality just because people aren't going to do it by accident. But people that are doing it by accident, I've seen, you know, two emails from friends in the past week who had some application send everything to everybody, and they're apologizing, and they're saying they're really upset about it, and sort of you create something that's even more angry than if you had just given them the option in the first place. And um, there was actually, I, I read... I can't now remember whether it was Target or Walmart, but they started a group on Facebook a few months ago, and they were encouraging people to go in and write positive reviews of stuff, and they were censoring and taking out comments on the wall and stuff like that. And again, the same thing happens. If you really try to, to sort of make that a fake environment, somebody found out about it, some blogger wrote about it, a journalist picked it up, and then it became this huge thing. You know, and, and it's just like, do you really want to make this more difficult to yourself by taking out three comments that no one would have noticed? You're opening yourself up to a huge sort of firestorm of stuff. Um, I mean, the other part of, like, so far as control and letting go of that, like, that's, that's a whole big thing. I mean, that's the, the hardest part about this whole sort of Web 2.0 user-generated content push. It's like, how much are you okay with people saying whatever they want about what you're trying to sell or what you're up to, you know, it comes to the same yeah. sort of thing with that. It's like the second you start censoring that or pulling bits out or, you know, just saying that you can go this far but not the rest of the way, then that's hard for people to take. And that's, you know, 
how much are you willing to sort of introduce that idea in the first place, and then how far are you letting, willing to let it go? Um, I think that's a really hard question for a lot of people to sort of answer when it comes to protecting their brand or protecting their the idea that they're trying to get across. Yeah, can we talk a little bit more about it? Because you just mentioned user-generated content. Because obviously within those viral campaigns, you, you really rely on the users to, to, to tell, you know, to, um, to send it further or whatever. Um, it's in that way similar to user-generated content, or at least you can argue that, that it, there are some similar similarities there. Um, so my question is, what are the difficulties for you guys to encourage the, this viral spread um, of this media content um, as opposed to, to have grassroots content? Um, because there's a lot of people, as we see, who like to upload their own YouTube video and, and probably don't care about Walmart's YouTube video. I'm really interested to see what happens with the Quarter Life stuff, which is sort of an NBC and MySpace partnership where the idea is that you can go on the site and they'll have raw footage. And I don't know you know, how much of this is actually going to end up... I'm sure that they're always changing their ideas, but the idea is that you can have raw footage and you can go in and you can re-edit scenes and you know, splice together footage in your own way. And I'm really interested to see... Because that's like user-generated content, but made easier. So it's not as hard as filming and shooting your own thing, it's taking the pieces and putting to them together, and I'm really interested to see where their their numbers are just going to be so much higher, because people do want to do the, the playing around and the mashing up and everything else, they just don't want to actually go out with their video camera and film it, and that's where you see, you know, with, you know, Doritos thing for the Super Bowl, I think they only had 400 people that entered their contest this year, because there were only 400 people that were an unsigned band, you know, you just make the, the barriers to entry really high, and versus having mashable content, you know, versus, I think it's a little bit different. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, with video especially, like, it's it's a lot of work to go out and do something and want to have it out there. And if you're going to put all the work in, you want to be able to do more or less whatever you want, you know. Um, but when it comes down to, you know, you want people to put the work in, but you don't want them to be able to say whatever they want when it comes to sort of yeah. controlling your marketing message, um, that's that's not going to work so well, you know. So I think it's there's a lot that needs to be sort of worked out, uh, you know, at the onset. Like how much how much are you willing to sort of let people enjoy this, and how much do you want to sort of dictate what they can do? I mean, it's really nice with something where you have the material and you can like these are these scenes are things that we own as a company, and you can do whatever you want, and it's going to be within the confines of the site. We're going to give you all the materials to work with. That's nice and easy. That's really nice and clean. But the second that anybody wants to go beyond that, if I want to add my own sound to that, all of a sudden you can't you can't control the materials at hand, and that becomes very scary. So, how far can you take, you know, an idea like that? You know, where mm. you have, you know, everything is sort of nicely canned, and you just work with what you got before people start losing interest and say, "Well, I don't like the music you gave me. I don't like this audio. I want to do more with this." And I, so. Yeah, I, I'm curious too, like because it's a it's a good idea and it's a safe idea, but I feel like it has a it's got a lifespan. And there's uh, there's also is it Subway or I'm forgetting which there's like two sandwich chains and it might be Subway and Quiznos where one of them asked their consumers to to make videos about why their sandwich was cheesier or crunchier or whatever than their competitors, and now the other sandwich company is suing them 
for intellectual property and all this other sort of bring all the stuff out of the woodwork because they they didn't make the videos but they invited people to make these videos that slammed sandwich company A. And so you can see that people are are starting to realize that that stuff can have an effect and instead of saying, "Hey, it's press for us either way," they're really sort of focusing on the fact that it is negative, which I don't necessarily think is the best way to go about it. Right. So, yeah, we already heard the the issues of 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 control. Yeah. How about um ethics? Um are are you guys ha do you have like um any ethical concerns as a marketing company about what you do and and ask people to to actually work for you? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we've uh, we've definitely like we've said no to jobs that just didn't sit well with us, or you know. Yeah, can you give examples for that, or what? Uh, what did you I have? I probably to do? shouldn't. Um, but you don't have to mention. There, there were some like. Um, it wasn't Maxim. It was a Maxim type magazine mm -hmm. that uh, you know we were all like that's that's a little more than we were comfortable with, you know, with uh, you know just the sort of. Um, material that they wanted to put on. Uh, certain, you know, there are certain companies that you know ethically we're not really okay with, and it, it always becomes a discussion. You know, it's sort of like, and we're, it's a really good. The management of Barbarian is really good about sort of laying it out there and saying, you know, we've got an open meeting. Anybody can go talk about new business and just say like, we're talking to these guys. How do you feel about that? You know, and if. If nobody's really okay with that, or most people are not okay with that, or you know anybody really, you know that's that's very heavily sort of weighted for us. Um, so that's as far as like the ethical end of who we're going to work with. Yeah, you know. but on the side of the of the consumer, because you like how much are we willing, okay yeah. to try and do? Right. I don't know if we've really uh, pushed that too much. Um, you know, we we have done the sort of thing where we'll get someone to sort of go into a, a message board and pretend to be somebody else, and you know, we uh, we hire out for that. There are people who do that for a living, and uh, you know, you get mixed results, but it's always with something that nobody should really care about. Like it's very sort of casual, lighthearted sort of stuff. Uh, video games mostly. Um, that's the most sketchy that I can remember us getting. Yeah, no, I can't think of anything where we've really had to sort of even ask, like, is what we're doing okay? Right. Like, it's all pretty benign. <laughs> Good. And then, you know, on, on the sort of initial, like, biz dev side of it, we have a laundry list of, and I think I've talked about a few of them here, of places where that's backfired when you're ethically sort of in the gray area or just completely, totally lying to people. So... You can somebody can say, "Hey, we want you to go," and you, and we we're totally fine with you pretending you're a suburban mom, or we're totally fine with you pretending you're a college kid. Um, and we say, like, we could do that, and there are certainly companies you can go to, like you said, that do that. But if we did that and it backfired, then this, 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 or this might happen to your company. And I think that it's it's a lot, especially because viral marketing is so new to so many people. I mean, all of us are on Facebook and MySpace, but there are people that still don't understand what those sites do. When you explain and you sort of educate people on on this is what you could do and then this what is what could happen, they're very understanding about why it's good to be sort of ethically on the on the straight and narrow and and abide by all the rules. Right. I do remember there was one that was uh, a booze company that wanted to do a MySpace page, and that 
that was very problematic for us, and they were they were pretty gung ho about it. And I, I think it's stuff like that where it, it comes down to like not so much how you're marketing, but the group that you're gonna hit by taking the marketing avenue that you're going. Like MySpace is mostly teenagers, you know, too young to drink. And are you the legal? You know, it's it's very flexible there, but how how okay with that are you? And how okay, you know, comes down yeah. to sort of advising them, because you know you get this guy. He's not he's not a lawyer. He hasn't really thought it through. He just thinks it's a good idea. He sees a lot of a lot of people that he can right. hit very easily, mm -hmm. and they're not always thinking that through. You know, how what are the ramifications of just being there in the first place, regardless of what you're doing? Right. You, know, you think a lot about the placement and how that how is the placement sort of going to reflect the brand? In right. Right. Yeah. Can I, okay, I have two questions related to this, and we, we, we've already talked about transparency. So, and I want to raise it again, and, and I want to ask: What are people looking for when they ask you to go into a chat room and pretend to be a suburban mom? I mean, what what do they think? And 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 that maybe you can address this by talking a little bit, perhaps, about some of the ways that 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 um, that fanscape works or, 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 or yeah. did work. I know you're no longer yeah. there, you know. But but what what are they looking for when they ask you to go into this place and, and be a suburban mom? And how do they think that it's going that it's that it's going to work? And are those expectations valid? And then the second question I want to ask is about the the authenticity of the entertainment experience. And yeah, I mean, uh, like you've already alluded to to this, the fact that you know if it's if it's entertaining and it's not going to cost anyone you know more than about two and a half minutes of their life then perhaps they'll look at it and become invested in it and 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 pass it along the question i have is 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 how do you need to negotiate how much it looks like an ad or or, or a viral you know something that's trying to go viral in order for it to negotiate those channels so as if we can talk first about you know what people are looking for when they ask you to come and, and go into these rooms and what you're doing then we'll talk about all well, they're looking for, you know, what sometimes their competitors or, you know, sometimes people with better products have going on organically. You know, there's a, a Thai restaurant called Spice that I like in, in Harvard Square, and I know if I go on Yelp, there's going to be amazing reviews of their Pad Thai, which I happen to love, and because I love Spice, I would go in and I would make that review. And I think that there's something really authentic and honest about that, and that resonates with people. And so somebody else is just trying to recreate that feeling of passion and excitement and sort of, you know, brand advocates and, you know, somebody that's doing it casually. And the problem is that, you know, usually if there's a big problem with your brand, that's why people aren't going in there and, and doing that stuff on their own. And if somebody does, then all that all, all people want to do is start conversations online. So if somebody does say something really good, but we know that it's a brand that doesn't have a, a good whatever the product is, then we know that there's going to be some person that's going to say, really? Like, that wasn't my experience. Or they're just going to figure out that it was fake. Um, when we were at FOE2, somebody, I think, from Naked Communications said that basically, you just have to think about it, this conversation is already happening offline. You know, people are already saying X brand sucks to their friends, or I had a horrible customer service experience with this brand. And just because they're doing it online and there's a record of it, everyone gets really freaked out about it. But it's happening offline just as much, if not ten times more, than it is in that environment. So you have to explain to them that this is going to happen. But the most important thing is getting that conversation started. And 
you know, I, I think a lot of people have gone on Yelp and have been customer service reps from the companies or the managers of the restaurants have gone on Yelp and found the people that wrote negative reviews and reached out to them. And that has given them, then they've gone, the reviewers have gone back on Yelp and been like, hey, I just wanted to let you guys know Christina from this hair salon reached out to me and said she was, she apologized for my weight and the fact that I had a bad experience. She invited me to come back and try the salon again. Just the fact that she reached out to me and that she even took the time to go on Yelp and see what people were saying about her salon means a lot to me. And so you find that even if people start off as negative, if you use it the right way, you can turn that conversation positive. From an agency perspective, how, how do you go about doing it? I mean, pragmatically, how do you, how do you go into a space and go, hi, I'm from X and X agency and I'm here to talk about, like, you know, how do you, how do you deliver that pitch in a way that, you know, that doesn't turn people off? It's a lot of, it's a lot, and, Sorry. you know, at Fanscape we had a, a grassroots marketing director that literally lives in these communities all day long and, um, you know, knows that there are different tones for different people. And country music fans, no matter what you go in to tell them, are just going to be like, thank you so much. It is wonderful. I already knew that, you know, this artist was performing in this show, but thanks so much for coming in here and telling me that. You know, and the same thing. It's like if you go to a punk forum and you say pretty much the same thing, and even if you sort of make it a little edgier, they're still going to be mad that you're in there or just feel like, you know, using a bunch of expletives or whatever. Um, and it's really important to have a voice. So... You know, we probably would have had at Fanscape, you know, 50 different accounts on 50 different sites. And, f for example, on Yelp, the first thing that I look on on Yelp is how many reviews the person that's writing has done. And that's how I judge whether they're authentic. So, you know, and the same thing with Dig. Their algorithm is based on a lot of, you know, 25 really heavy Dig contributors. And when one of those person digs something you know, the, the whole thing can tip. So it's all about, you know, actively participating in these communities so you're not an inauthentic person, you know. And, and unfortunately that means doing a lot of like work outside of a typical campaign and always being on there and being active so that you're a respected member of the community. So, so we talked a little bit about ethics and um, in some industries like television advertising, ethics are formalized or maybe they're not exactly formalized in, in terms of regulation. I don't think I don't think the viral space is regulated except by the kind of stuff you're talking about. This is your list of uh, bad experiences in mm -hmm. the past and is there is there much or is, is there any negative um, viral marketing like people just zapping their opponent, you know, campaigns against as opposed to campaigns for. In TV for example, that's sort of neutralized, but you know, it's a, it's a tough world out there, and some folks can try to knock off the competition through a, a good negative campaign. Politics, we see it all That's the time. That's what I was going to say. It happened, you know, <laughs> there was something with Mr. Obama in India, or, you know, the, the, the Clinton's campaign leaked that Obama had plagiarized the thing, and, you know, that stuff is going to be viral. And that's why they're using... Yeah, I mean, it, it happens more when somebody feels that they want to stick it to the man, you know, because... They, literally, it happens most as, I think, in a, bad, in a bad customer service experience on the phone. Somebody calls. They don't have somebody that's helpful. I think this is a huge thing that companies should invest in in general. They have a horrible experience on the phone. They get frustrated. Clearly, talking to customer service wasn't good enough, so they're going to just go out on the Internet, and they're going to say what they, need to, what they needed to say. And that's why I think it's really important to have, for any brand or consumer product to have a customer service team that is ready and willing to address that stuff. You know, some people hire viral marketing agencies just for customer relationship management and crisis management. And there's a lot of, you know, D.C. lobbying firms that are now getting into this online space to do damage control 
proactively. You know, and I think that that's an ongoing thing that anyone could could pay an agency to, to be on retainer for is managing that stuff. Yeah, I think with us, you know, dealing more with brands than anything else, you know, we we are never really sort of encouraged nor really allowed to go after specific names. I think that sort of the governing mindset is basically the same as the ones that treat, you know, TV and print, you know. Um, they don't, we're not allowed to sort of go after anybody else, you know. We can hint at it, but... You know, it's still the same people who are going to have the final say-so with the television are going to be looking at the web for the most part, too. And it's just, you know, it's easier for them to sort of bundle their thinking if they're not going to go way out there with something, you know, because it just, you know, it snowballs and how much do you really want to be sort of back at it, back and forth, because... So, I mean, legally, it's, yeah, it's more open. Ethically, the same sort of rules apply, but nobody's really going to do much about it aside from do something back, you know. Sort of. But nobody wants to deal with that, you know. They, they're they okay with brand X, and it's it's easier on everybody whether it's as effective or not. Depends, you know. Because, I mean, sometimes we really want to. Like, we all know who you're talking about. Why don't you just say it, you know, just. <laughs> but it's a lot of trouble. It's And it's more than most people want to deal with for a, what is essentially a temporary sort of medium. Right, I was wondering, um, I'm sure you've all know the tipping point, we actually heard it from, um, it, which has been recently criticized, I don't know if you heard about that, that about the influencers that they're, the group is, um, that basically um, there's not um, a group of influencers, that the, the, the strong ties, that it's not as, as strong as we, we like to think, so that there's basically not a group of, a small group of people who is the influences of other people and set everything in motion. And we read that uh, in, in Duncan Watts' article. Um, how, how do you see your target audiences? And, and it, does that actually impact the way you set out viral campaigns at all? How do you see how, where the starting point is of your viral campaign and how that is going to spread through different distribution platforms? There's definitely different analytics companies that I think are are getting really good at at tracking that online and actually sort of following the conversation path and I know like there's one called Radiant 6, there's one called Collective Intellect and sort of those companies are, we sort of leave it up to them as far as the actual nitty gritty of the tracking but I think that another part of the Fast Company article was that um, it's just not, somebody's not necessarily an influencer across a category Right. so in every instance, that, instance there's a different sort of Influencer, and he wasn't saying that these people don't exist. He's just saying that it is sort of random and dependent on each specific situation, each specific campaign, which was something that you were talking about earlier. And I think that it really is. I thought that the article was fascinating, but I don't think it's something that was revolutionary in that we hadn't already figured out that you know your influencers in one category are going to be different than your influencers in another, and it might just be because my mom had breast cancer that I'm going to be an influencer about this specific mm -hmm. topic. You know? Right. Right. I haven't read it. But I do stand by everything that I just said earlier that she just said. <laughs> That's uh, so. Um, when you when you think about your uh, viral campaign, I mean, how um, can you can you give us? Um, okay, what are basically the negatives? What shouldn't you do as a viral campaigner? Um, 
That's a tricky question. It is. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, it depends on what, what you're going for. I, I know everything always depends, but, uh, I mean, you definitely don't want to keep people so far from the content that it's discouraging to them. I mean, that's, that's always sort of the biggest thing is how much do you have to go through to get to what you're trying to show them. Um, and that's, that's something that we're, you know, penultimately sort of, that's, that's what you need to protect, you know, because the more information you want to gather about the people who are using your product, the more you want to count them and know who they are and what they're up to so you can use that information later, that's, you know, the more that they have to do before they're actually doing anything. Um, and, you know, I mean, as a casual user, the people that, you know, you want them to sort of pass this stuff really and easily, that's, that's a definite sort of, you know, no-no. Um, you know, you you got to worry about sort of alienating the wrong people, definitely. Uh, but but have you had, let's say, that you thought that this was going to be like this this huge viral campaign, very successful, and then it completely backfired on you, or basically you didn't get spread as much as you hoped, and then you learned something about why the reasons why that was that the case? Yeah, there's certain days you should release something. You know, like there's there's little tricks that you just learn through trial and error of doing a ton of viral campaigns, like, you know, you never want to send a press release out on a Friday. I mean, there's there's all these sort of little things that you learn that you can apply across at least a few campaigns, because I don't think anything is sort of a one mm -hmm. general thing, but I think in general sort of, um, you know, you don't want to, you want to be transparent, you don't want to be ethically out there, you um, want to make sure that you're using the correct medium and, and those are the things that when people don't follow those really basic guidelines like you know that it's not gonna gonna be a, a big hit I think I think there's also a lot just on like a, a tonal level you know trying to make stuff work like I mentioned earlier that a lot of the people who are going to be sort of the, the most engaged they're generally a pretty cynical group of people and you want to sort of be able to communicate with them in a way that they don't run away from you but at the same time, you don't want to sound like such an asshole that they don't want to hear from you at all. Like there's that that delicate balance of like being able to talk to people the way that they want to be talked to, but not going too far and not not sounding like you're better than them or that you have something that they don't, and just sort of finding finding that common ground. And again, that that sort of fluctuates. You know, some people are harder to get through to, than to others, but um, you know, just in how how you even write the copy, how you phrase it, you know, the sort of look that you give, all this sort of factors into the overall sort of what are people going to be hit with first and is is that going to turn them off, you know. And I think it's very easy to not go far enough. It's also easy to go too far. Um, and so you get, you know, not that I'm the poster child for this, but you got to do your homework, you know. Like you got to sort of learn about who it is you're talking to, how they want to be talked to, what what's really going to work, and be very careful about maintaining that balance. So how would you do that? How do you do your research? What, where do you go? Well, we rely a lot on the brief and the knowledge of the agency or the client that we're working with. And right. We deal with, you know, we're working on a project-to-project -project basis, and there'll be somebody, a different company, a different agency every single time. So, you know, we need somebody else to know their customers. I see. Because you know, okay. they're not our customers. We're just going to help you get to them. Okay. So, you know, we... It, you know, there's definitely things that we know about, and when it comes down to like how people want to act, you know, we know the internet, we know how how it works, what people want to do, but 
knowing the specific people, like you gotta you gotta trust the experts. You know? It's all about letting them sort of direct you in the ways that are best, and then taking what they tell you and interpreting that in a way that you know will work. Right, and it's really important to sort of go out there and um, and be having those those conversations, and not just be, you know, sitting sitting in your office. Like even if it's just like looking every day at Dig and what are the top ten stories of that day, or sort of you know, having a bunch of blogs that you read. Um, also, I think there are some companies that are doing a really good job if you're not getting it on the agency side. Like, um, before I was at Fanscape, I worked for a company called The Intelligence Group, which is a youth trend and forecasting company, and they do a lot of marketing consulting, too. But they publish a huge book on, you know, the sort of, I guess, 13 to 24-year-old, and, and I'm sure it goes bigger and lower now, but you can find a lot of great insights from that and there's you know they put out an, an email called Trend Central and there's a lot of these things that you can sign up very short list and so that even if you're not in that target demographic anymore you're not able to communicate with them regularly you can sort of sign up for the same things that they would be reading to hear about what's cool and what are the passion points for those people right um, <clears throat> I was also uh, thinking about how you um, measure I mean do you, do you measure um, your um, targets, like in house, or do you outsource that? Is that, and what, what, how do you, how do you measure actually? How, how do you know when you send something through email where it's been and where it's going and who is actually the audience? Uh, we usually build in the mechanisms to measure and then trust whoever the agency is working with to do their measurements to actually, you know, interpret that. Um, again, but I mean, with something like um, like YouTube, something you're just sort of letting it be and people are going to look at it or not, mm -hmm. then you just look at the count, you know. But right. anything where you're going to build in a, a mechanism to sort of count clicks, and, you know, how much time they spend on it, you know, that all goes into the sort of tech scope of the project. And then, you know, these these agencies or clients, they're going to be dealing with this sort of information beyond their sort of, you know, the time that they're working with us. So they've got people who are sort of keeping track of this company. There are marketing companies that they've already hired or groups within themselves that are doing the group. We just need to make sure that they get the information that they need and they tell us what they need to know. Right. And at, at Fenisa, you know, we use a great sort of web analytics company to track our traffic and who's coming from where and all that sort of typical stuff. At Fancy, it's a little trickier with the viral stuff. They actually have spent years developing this proprietary sort of this is what you would pay for this, this is like, you know, this media value and this is how much you're going to pay for it and this is the projected media value um, on our end and they factor in how long it stays on a blog and sort of they, all that stuff that, that we sort of think about as we're testing something, they factor in all of that and I think that there's, you know, it go, gets as granular as, well, YouTube counts their videos if you're on there for 15 seconds versus VO. You know, their big selling point is that people stay and watch their videos for more like two minutes. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, so the views aren't the same. And so it, it measures and it sort of is one big algorithm that, that factors in a lot of that different stuff. And I think that you're continually, every time you see a different brand's deck, you're learning more and more about, you know, what you should be using to, to calculate that and how many more discussion things followed in a thread. There's so many things that you can use, and it's just almost an insurmountable thing of information, but I think that it is going to standardize as more and more people get into the space. Right. Is there a question? Oh, sorry. I just, <laughs> it's not whole this may seem a little <laughs> off topic, so please bear with me. Um, 
the newspaper industry right now is having the supposed crisis and having a hard time supposedly attracting readership and they're putting a lot of their energies online and most websites of newspapers do have that little side option where you can see the stories most emailed and look at those. It's a different way of categorizing those. So I'm wondering if some of the concepts that you're using in terms of viral marketing, the editor of the online version of a newspaper could also think about when putting stories on, how to track where those stories go, who's emailing, like what, what, how can we apply these concepts to that realm or is it a bad idea to do that? I think it's, it's a fine idea to do that. I think it depends on having for us, it depends on having a client with, you know, the content and the interest, you know. Um, you know, because the, the news sites are obviously the first thing that come to mind. But, you know, everybody sort of wants that, like, most played, most viewed, you know, stuff like that. And uh, if there's something, say, like a user-submitted video, you know, like a, I guess YouTube comes to mind, you know, like stuff like that, like, where it's pretty common. Like, it's sort of like that's a good idea, and yes, we will build that into the site if you pay us for it, you know, but, um, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. Well, I guess I mean that the newspaper, uh, online versions of newspapers do, to some extent, have some of these concepts built into the way that sites now look, and most of the time that means that you can see the stories that have been most emailed, and so I see some similarities between that practice of sort of forwarding news stories. Um, and what you're describing as viral marketing. So what I'm interested in is what can journalists and editors who are working with sites like that who have that feature available to them learn from where those stories are going, should they be measuring, you know, who's forwarding them where, and can that somehow like feedback into the sort of news that they generate. And I'm just interested to hear if you think that that would be a good model for people to think about or whether that would sort of... I, I just want to Yeah, I mean... In general, I think it's a it's a good idea. Like, and, and the, the more yeah. that, you know, if if you're in a position to use that for yourself, you know, beyond what you know news sites are already doing, like if you're talking about you know something that's not CNN or New York Times or you know something a project of your own, I mean it's a it's a very useful model. I mean you want to know what people are reading, you want to know what appeals to people. I mean, you know, there's stuff. You get into the sort of like, okay, well, why are people sending that? Is this important, or is it? Did it have a weird title? You know, like, was it just sort of a funny sort of placement? Like, this ad ended up with this article, stuff like that. There are a lot of reasons why stuff will be sent. You know, thinking of the news, not all of it because it was good writing or because it was an interesting read. Um, but I don't think that's uninteresting in itself. Um, you know, if you're willing to sort of, if you can learn something from that, then why not? And even just sort of, that's the whole, like, field of social bookmarking, which is, I think, a lot of, of what you're talking about. And you've probably noticed that things with these five subjects in the thing are, if you use this buzzword in the headline, people are going to click on that and they're going to send it on to their friends. And I think that you don't necessarily need to pay for a ton of really expensive analytics tools to, to see that, I would imagine. Um, the other On the other side of it, something that you could do really easy is, like, add a dig button to your stuff. And then you can sort of see how many digs that gets. And that's another way also for it to sort of leap off of your newspaper, which I'm sure people go to every day, to then have them potentially come at it from a whole different perspective. But I think that there's a lot of these Web 2.0 companies want you to share their stuff. Facebook has a share button you can put on your browser. And I think if you're trying to get the most people to read your stories, the easiest thing to do is make it as easy f as possible for people to, to send them around. And that that's just as important as seeing who's doing what.
Josh. This is a horrible question, um, but I'm going to ask Let's... it anyway. I know we've talked a lot about, and, and I know we started by um, acknowledging that we were going to talk a lot about the internet. Um, I want to talk about things that might happen off the internet for a second. So this is a chance for wild speculation, perhaps. Um, a little over 12 months ago, um, the Boston police were brought in to blow up a light bright put underneath the bridge um, by uh, an artist working for an agency, working for um, Cartoon Network to advertise Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Boston light bright. Okay, I've got a couple of questions here. So first of all, Boston light brights, good idea or bad idea? <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. In retrospect, maybe a bad idea. Um, I saw them. I thought they were cool. I like the show, you know. So I know I the name of Boston Light Brights now, and I probably wouldn't have before. You know, I, and for some people, it's just getting your name out there, and then you know, you write an article that causes a huge furor in TechCrunch, and everyone's saying you're you're unethical, blah blah blah. You're on CNN two weeks later. Your company's booked four weeks out. You know, like some people, they just need to know the name of your company, and that's the way to get it there. Um, but I don't, you know, something that it endangers people, or you know, I think that there's a very fine line that you can take. But I think that different people are going to judge it different ways. I'm going to say definitely bad idea. The more I think about it, because of the ramifications it had with the workings of the company, mm -hmm. like it's it goes so far beyond the any press is good press, even if you're as badass as Adult Swim. You know, people lost their jobs, people resigned, you know. Um, we were doing work with that company at the same time. We had to rethink and a lot, you know. There was a lot that we all of a sudden couldn't do. The budget started shifting. Like, I mean, it's that sort of a selfish way to look at it, but, I mean, it sucked. Like, that, that was really rough timing for us. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the fact that it became what it was, and it wasn't just talk, and it wasn't, you know, it just it just went too far, and I think that's the point where it sort of it becomes a bad idea. It's not just that the talk is itself; it's. But yeah. but the thing is, it was only in Boston, and it was in other cities too. So it was really specific in this city. Well, but um, the affected spread. Uh, no, of course. I mean, the everybody effects, started yeah. pulling them from other cities. Right. You, know, you start hearing from all around the country, people getting very scared. Not so much scared of bombs or whatever, but scared like, oh, shit. Well, I put those things up too. I should go and. Down. Mm. Like, I don't want to be those guys. I don't want to be you know, yeah. like Cleveland's next you know, most wanted. My, sure. my, 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 my question is, it was misunderstood by a certain group of people. Yeah. Um, and, and they'd been in other cities and it had been up for a while in, in Boston before it was misunderstood by a certain group of people. So for the group of people who didn't misunderstand it, so for the, leaks, the, the weeks up until someone noticed it and reported it, was it a good idea campaign-wise? I say it's a fine idea. Yeah. You know, I mean, like ignoring the yep. the potential risk and whether it was thought through or not. I mean, like, yeah, you know, there's uh, for a while people were doing these little bits of um, Mega Man art mm -hmm. that would just sort of be plastered around, not light up or anything. But like I, every time I see one, I still see them around. It's just like yeah, really happy about that, you know. And it's sort of like that that idea of just sort of being around and seeing something that you you can identify with and sort of brightens your day a little bit, like. That goes a long way, you know, whether you're trying to advertise anything or just sort of remind people that you exist. Um, is it, I mean, 
an awesome idea, you know, you got to know what it is in the first place to care. You know, you're sort of, you're talking to people who already know what, what you are, what you're about, you know. So you're not really reaching anybody new with that so much as you're just sort of becoming cooler to the people that do know who you are. Um, and that's There's something that's to be said for that. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to be said for that, sure. I think anything where you, I mean, maybe you could argue that their problem was not educating people enough on what that was so that, you know, if, if somebody had heard about it beforehand and then saw that, I don't necessarily know that they would have called the Boston police. And I think that that's just about making sure that the messaging goes out so that hopefully somebody, you know, will have, hopefully somebody would have heard about it on their own, but making sure that the information is available to them. I don't know that that person would have gone and Googled like, hey, what is this thing? But the idea is that and a lot of that stuff, if you disseminate the information and then you launch the campaign, then that's a way for people to sort of find out more and they should be able to go to Wikipedia and, and all those things to sort of educate themselves on what's going on. Does that run counter to the grassroots, um, pass-along, word-of-mouthy kind of thing you're trying to you're trying to develop with a viral campaign? I mean, Sam loves to talk about, um, uh, is, it, is it Xerox? who, before they started a viral campaign, released a press release to say that they were starting a viral campaign. Yeah. <laughs> um, which seems sort of counterintuitive because, I mean, how is it supposed to spread, you know, naturalistically or, or through these channels or because it's such a compelling idea if you're advertising that this is going to be a really compelling idea? Aren't you sort of setting yourself up for failure there? So, you know, do, doesn't yeah. making, you know, letting people know what it is run counter to the, the idea itself? Um, I think that you can let them know in, in a way that's that's maybe a better fit than putting a release out on the wire that's going to be picked up by 2,000 news agencies. You know, it, there's, you know, you can, a lot of viral campaigns will hide a release or they'll leak it to a Perez Hilton or one of those people. And that's all you need is one little granular nugget of information. And that's when somebody is like, hmm, what was that? They might go online and check it out and they find the one thing. They don't need to see a press release and that would probably, as Sam said, turn them off. But I think that having somebody else notice the same thing, that's sort of the tipping point to starting that viral marketing. And, you know, if even if you have somebody, I've seen a lot of people where I've seen a campaign gone on to research, haven't found a press release or anything else, but I've found somebody from the agency who has blogged about it. And that's when I'm like, oh, they're doing this on purpose. I want to find out more or I want to tell my want to tell my friend. There's, there's, I think, a lot of different levels that you can let that secret out on. I think, yeah, I, and I think it, like, I wouldn't say it's counter, but I think that behavior like that sort of changes your role, you know, like, you become, as a, as a company, you become the sort of facilitator of this event, you know, like, it's not so much, oh, this is happening, and it's sort of pointing to us, so you got us, you know, it's more like, okay, well, hey, we're doing this thing, hope you enjoy it, um, you know, because you don't always need to sort of be fooling anybody, you know, it's more just like, I, you know, if I knew that, like, um, Coke was responsible for the Mega Man things that I like, like, that doesn't really cheapen it if they tell me that that's what it is, you know, because it is what it is, and they wrote, you know, they're trying to relate to me, and I like seeing them around, so, you know, that all of a sudden becomes like, oh, they're the ones who put up those cool little things that I like to find around the city. Um, but, you know, it sort of, it does change the flow of the messaging, you know, mm -hmm. definitely. I don't know if you can say that that's a bad thing. Mm. Um, it's safer, I guess, you know, in retrospect. But um, 
you know, it does sort of bring you a lot closer to the work that you're doing, which not everybody is always wanting. Because, you know, it does become more of an ad campaign and less of, you know, viral marketing. Mm-hmm. So to speak to that, sorry, I'm completely taking it. To speak to that for a second, you, you guys were responsible for Subservient Chicken, which was branded as a Burger King campaign. I mean, there, there was there was branding on the page. But in, in and of itself, I mean, sim- simple idea that relates to the tagline and, you know, there's, there's a connection there. But it's still a, some, something of a curiosity. I mean, you know, there, there are a fair few steps between, you know, the ads for the king on the television and subservient chicken as a, a, as a sort of an, an ad, if you like, for, for, for Burger King. So, I mean, how... Uh, I suppose I'm, I'm wondering about uh, how you negotiate or, or navigate how much branding you put on something as opposed to how little branding you put on something and how that affects the channels uh, that it gets passed along. Right. Well, I mean, that one's always, it's, I mean, it's becoming more and more tricky to sort of relate to what we're talking about now because it was so long ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean... Sorry, when was it? I want to say... So we can all date ourselves. I want to say 2003... Could be wrong. Someone may scold me for that later. I didn't do anything. Um, but you know, it's it was early on enough that you know you you keep the branding on something like that in light because you don't want to hit people over the head, and you like that's one of the sort of things that it's it's cool for cool's sake. You know, it's fun because of what it is, and you know, you know, there's a lot of fun in sort of making people scratch their heads like, how do you do that? Was that real? You know, stuff like that, and it's sort of all that. All that stuff where talking about it is more important than the branding, and you can afford to go light on branding. Um, something more shallow, you may have needed to pump it up a little bit more. But I mean, not to say that it's a totally like in-depth and huge experience, but it's just sort of like there's enough to sort of make people interested on its own that you don't need to sort of relate it to anything, so long as the branding is there. Does that answer your question? Yeah, and and I want I, I wonder if you can elaborate a little um, on on the cool for the, the cool for cool sake prospect and or notion, and whether cool for cool's sake is important when you're putting together the kind of material that you want people to pass along in a somewhat organic fashion. Because I mean, the word organic is used always when we talk about this stuff, and it was all over FOE too, and it was mm. I mean it got. It got a little that you couldn't you couldn't sit for five minutes without someone talking about needing to do something organically, and I'm always I find it a strange kind of metaphor to 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 start with because none of this talk is intrinsically seems intrinsically organic anyway, or perhaps it all is. I mean, it, I think it's an interesting term. So I'm I'm wondering how you encourage that organicness. Um, well, with regards to that project in particular, I mean. I feel like organic, when you're talking about sort of letting things grow, it, it applies a lot more when there's some sort of back and forth. All that that project in itself relied on was people liking it, copying the link, and sending it to somebody else. And that's that's it. I mean, organic, yes, in the sense that that needs to be able to happen and that needs to be able to sort of just, that's gonna, what's going to drive the project. And we're not going to sort of like be seeding that anywhere. We're not going to tell people to sort of like, in any sort of sneaky way that we you know, got to construct this fan base for something like that. But, I mean, you know, that's where the organic carries the cool, if that makes sense. You know, like, you've done something that is you think is really awesome and people seem to like, and that's, that's where the sort of structure of it ends. And then beyond that, it does what it does. Um, and, you know, that in that part, it is organic. In a lot of ways, you know, you can sort of overthink that, I think, 
and sort of say like <coughs> it's not organic because we did a lot of research and we've built it in this very specific way and it's going to target these people and everything's going to you know according to plan. I mean, that doesn't strike me as very organic. But when people are sort of like there's back and forth and there's a lot of participation, you know, people are making their own things, they're making something of what you've done, you know, and it sort of folds over and over and goes just goes out and lives on its own. That's where, you know, no matter how much planning you've done or how much you've sort of designed this thing to be, you know, what it is and the best that it can be, you know, that, you know, reliance on people to sort of do what they would do best. Like, look at the Cloverfield trailer. No branding at all. And that was, that discovery process was what turned that viral, I think, more than the actual trailer itself. What is that? Is that a monster? Is that, you know, what, what's, is it, a, is it terrorist? I don't know. No name on the trailer, just the date. People immediately went on, home online after they saw Transformers and they saw that trailer and they're like, what is that? And that sort of discovery process of what is the brand, essentially, that's what the story became more than it's a monster movie or, or something like that. And the fact that they didn't, just didn't put the name on the trailer, that, turned it into a what is this movie and that fueled that the virality of that campaign much more so than you know who's in it or anything else and I think that was a very smart strategy on their part because then that whole idea of it's a discovery it's a mystery even though it wasn't a mystery movie that carried through with all the secret websites and you know the easter eggs that they were talking about there and the thing and that whole they cater to that audience which really enjoys that discovery experience I think that one that fascinated me like even after I saw the movie there's so much more to read about what was happening online and in the sort of talking about the movie than was going I mean, the movie was what, like 86 minutes long yeah. like yeah. there's nothing to it but you know you start reading online like you know this bit of media that was released at this point suggests that he got a job with this Japanese company that in turn made this like beverage that was owned by another company that sort of was doing oil drilling and there's just like this whole other story just surrounding you know and it's it's completely removed from the movie itself, but, you know, they started early enough and they let people do enough of their own digging from being so, you know, nebulous about it that just the amount of content that came out of such a small piece of media at the onset was just really interesting. It's the same thing with the heroes and the transmedia content that they have that's take up a gigantic portion of that NBC site, you know. So let me, let me follow, because it's, that's an interesting point, you know. It's a question I'm not sure if you can answer, but it has to do with national specificity. This last technique you talked about and you talked about with the subservient chicken, that is an underbranded or minimally branded thing where people are scratching their heads and what is it and we want to find out. That sort of thing works great in America. And it's what, it's what, what is it, Henry? It's uh, Lears has an article on Humbug. And he sort of talks about Barnum's whole success not being the sensation, but rather being the controversy. That people, Americans, are sort of driven to debate, you know, is it true, isn't it true? That's the, that's the power that catches our culture. Does that work in Europe? Does that work in Asia? D- does viral in general have the same pickup rate overseas as here, A and B? I mean, this is, seems to me such a culturally consistent driver. There's a hundred and some years of documented success with is it real or isn't it? being more important than anything else, does that work overseas as well? Say Europe and Asia as markets. I don't have, know. Yeah. I don't <laughs> I don't have experience working on campaigns that have done that, but I mean I think that there are something that's that we know work across the board just because we've heard about them as successes, you know, um 
Lufthansa did an airline game that got a crazy amount of, of views and it was only released in the UK. I think celebrities work all over, you know, and and it's, it's really interesting to think about which celebrities work where because, <laughs> you know, in Asia, they somebody was telling me yesterday that they don't even know who like the Red Hot Chili Peppers are, but they love REM. You know, so I think it's a lot. It is. It's a lot of doing your homework, and there are certain you know trends that are going to go one way or another. But I haven't worked on anything that I've done that. No, I mean we do a very very small amount of global stuff. A lot of times, you know, it's just sort of in a pitch, and we find that a lot of stuff, you know, it's never like we're going to do this in America and this other country. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the U.S. and then the world. You know, so like if Germany hates something, then that idea sucks. So for us, you know, we very much concentrate. I mean, I think the one thing we can say is that America benefits from foreign trends far more than, you know, foreign countries will benefit from American trends, um, at least in sort of an immediate sort of sense. You know. um, Some of our trends could last up to 100 years. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of those things where like, we don't understand something, and therefore it's funny to us, and it's it's through that sort of, you know, that gap in our understanding that something is interesting, you know. Um, and it can take a while, too, like with the first season of The Office, or, you know, there's a lot of, of British shows. Yeah, the, all the, the UK British shows, yeah. they'll come over, and Ben Silverman has made himself an amazing amount of money just literally taking those shows and repackaging over here, and some of them work and some don't, and what I think that... NBC has found is that you have to give Americans at least a year to sort of get on the same page with that type of humor and that sort of, uh, you could say it's like a humor trend, and then they really get in and become sort of the same the same phenomenon that it became in, in the UK, but it took, you know, a lot of people, like, spending a lot of time with it and getting comfortable. It's the same thing with people are saying Obama is great in caucuses because, and I have never seen Obama in a caucus or anything else, or but people are saying with Obama, the more time that people spend with him, the more comfortable what they get with him. And that's why he he's his campaign is benefiting as time goes on, because the more people learn, the more that they like. And, you know, whatever your political views are, um, that's that's what, one theory for why he's winning so much now. So I, wanted, I had a question about brand coherence or integrity, whatever word we want to use it. I mean, the traditional notion of a brand is we have a brand with fixed attributes and fixed meanings that we try to communicate across the entire campaign. The world of viral marketing you're talking about, whether we're calling them influencers or grassroots intermediaries, which is the word I use, that, that affect niche publics. So the brand gets spread through a particular niche. And presumably there's some kind of localization that's going on as the brand moves into those niches and takes on meaning and significance for those people. So how does the world of viral marketing, as you see it, impact that traditional notion of the integrity of the brand. Do, do we have different campaigns for different constituencies online as things spread virally? Is the goal of the viral to spread, to allow it to be changed by different people local as it gets localized? How does that get thought about? Well, I think the one thing is that, you know, when it comes down to people and how they feel about brands that they're, they have any interest in at all, not everybody appreciates a brand for the same reason, you know. And so... You know, the the image is held in the hands of the agency, and they're going to sort of do this push. Um, you know, and that's based on what they know and what, you know, basically what their client, the brand itself, wants, you know, how they're trying to sort of portray themselves. But when you, you know, put it into this very active and very sort of, 
you know, engaging sort of way, people who think about it for whatever reason, they're going to latch onto it for their own reasons. So, you know, um, a lot of times that's going to be ironic. Um, and that's the sort of thing where they just sort of, you know, they'll take the current sort of messaging for their own sort of amusement and entertainment. And that, you know, looking at the numbers, they're just as interested in anybody else, but their motives are very different than somebody who's, you know, really into the messaging itself or really into the product for what it is. Um, but that's not a bad thing, you know, like that's that's that many more people who are going to be talking about the brand or who are going to be spreading, you know, this ad around or, you know, whatever. Um, and you just sort of let them do that. And you don't need to sort of, at the onset, like for us, we're not going to say, well, people love calling, you know, Milwaukee's best the beast, so we should sort of play that up and do this whole thing with the beast. Because, you know, they don't like, Milwaukee's best doesn't like being called beast. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that, people who do view the brand in that way shouldn't be interested in the sort of thing that you're pushing out. Um, so, you know, you sort of, in our minds, you know, we don't ignore those people. We can't tell them that that's who we're going after. But, you know, we know that there are people out there who don't, you know, there, there are things about the brand that they like other than what the agency likes about the brand. And so it's, it's not smart to ignore that, whether you can sort of cater directly to those people or not. I think that the cool thing about being viral and, and online and is that you can put out enough content so that there's something for everybody and you don't have to stick to one thing like with press releases those have been going out I don't even know how the history of PR but press releases have been going out forever and people have no contact with people at the company but they'll take a paragraph of a press release and they'll do an entire article based on that and they won't mention the other side and people have always been sort of picking and choosing I think um, and so the idea is that you can give give them enough content so that they can focus on what really resonates with them, and you hope that it, it's not on too wide of a scale that it what alienates somebody is what somebody else loves, but you can give them that sort of variety. Yeah, sorry, just um, when you were talking earlier about uh, use of movies like Cloverfield, or you know, ten years ago when when Blair Witch did the same yeah. thing, it, it seems pretty easy for for media to, to, to work in this fashion because there's already media created there's already buzz, there's something cool there's something visual whereas things like you know CPGs that have been around forever and haven't changed their branding forever, how would you, how would you take something so, so solid so staid and as you said uh, find, find the people who are into the product for what it is how would you find a new way to communicate you know, an old dog like that I think a lot of it is going to come down to how far they're willing to stretch themselves. You know, like you, we find that there's this sort of comfort zone that people fall into a lot of times, where this is the way they've done it, and even if the sort of you know somebody in the marketing team somewhere knows that it's the right thing for them to sort of branch out and try something else, it becomes really hard to sort of convince people that that's the thing to do anyway. So it, it really comes down to how much flexibility we have at all. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, these sort of fall into the usual trappings. Okay, well, go after a young audience. Find a new audience. You know, who's going to be using this next after the current people who have been using it the same way for this long are dead? You know, like, and you sort of, like, from there you start very basic. You know, you think of what, what works at all, where can you sort of go, and then how far can you stretch that comfort zone to accommodate things that you know work? Um, because, you know, a lot of times they're not going to be the people who are going to take the biggest risks, and therefore you need to go with something that's pretty, pretty
pretty standard, I guess, you know, so far as what we consider viral. Um, but, you know, like everything else, it's going to depend on, you know, how far they are wanting, wanting to go, how much do they want to retain from what has worked for them for so long. If it doesn't work, how much do they want to retain just so they can still be recognized. Because, um, you know, there is, even if people are willing, you know, willing to sort of depart entirely from what they've been doing for years, the fact that they've been doing that for years means that there's something that people already do recognize. There is something about them that you don't want to lose, you know. Um, even when you, you know, change a logo, like, that's huge, you know. So you got to sort of make sure that even if you are going to push them way off the deep end, that they're not lost entirely to the people who have trusted that messaging before. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say, I, I, whenever someone says consumer package good, I always think of Lucky Charms. Um, I don't know why, but I was just thinking about like how would you market that to a new audience? And I know like you can do a bunch of stuff with the back of the box, and you could, you know, do a user generated, create your own charm. And I can think of all this stuff. And I think a problem that I've seen a lot of CPGs run into is is that they do target kids more frequently than a lot of the media stuff that we're working with, and then you run into COPA, which is, you know, child protection stuff, and you can't market to people under 13, and there's a lot of, uh, it becomes a lot more difficult when you're, when you're dealing with um, the same thing with the MySpace and, and the booze, when you're dealing with a, such a, a broad audience, which tends to be what's going on with consumer packaged goods, that you can't, like, legally, even, and, and more importantly, a lot of times ethically, go there. And so I think that it limits a lot of the strategies um, that you're going to take. I was wondering, did you ever experience uh, specific legal ramifications that you were unaware of and you put a, an ad out or a viral campaign out there? Um, it may not even be within your own agency, but other agencies where suddenly the law became a really big factor in, I guess, success or failure. could be both. Uh, mm -hmm. For us, it usually hits before anything goes out, you know, and mm -hmm. it could be the sort of thing where, like, the work is done and somebody in legal catches it on its way out the door. I mean, that sucks, you know, um, but I don't know. And I'm like, what? Like, is it, like, images that maybe are copyrighted or, or is it something indeed, like, yeah, somebody I mean, that's too young or old? Eight, it's it's going to depend, you know, sometimes the copy is worded in a way that you just can't. Mm -hmm. can't do or sometimes right. you know you don't have the rights or the correct rights you know you learn that like you know with like images and music and you know all this yep. stuff there's many many sort of different sort of legal loopholes that you need to go through so if you're trying to repurpose anything um, or reference anything you know there's it's stuff like that or maybe it's just like a policy changes like oh we don't want to do that anymore because this happened you know somebody put a light bright up and now we're not okay with that anymore stuff like that um, so, but I, I can't think that it's ever happened after we've launched something and we've had right. to pull anything down. I think that people are spending enough on lawyers these days. I know Finista, a huge portion of the site is this sort of referral rewards program. If you get your friends to sign up to sort of share that entertainment discovery, you can, you know, get a, a commission basically on what they're buying and you can use that commission towards more purchases or you can donate it to a charity. You know, it's got a lot of uses, but the legal ramifications of that, I'm sure that they spend a ton of money on lawyers and, and making sure that that was completely above the board. And I think that that's just unfortunately what happens is it's not, it's getting caught before, but that's why campaigns are becoming much more expensive because you have to factor in 
legal and and all of those a lot of sub agencies just do the legal and contests and stuff yeah I mean it makes our lives very difficult so we're always very very keen on making sure that whatever agency or marketing team we're working with is like you know is legal in the loop on this mm -hmm. because I mean we have seen you know pre-launch how bad it can get you know we've gotten these spiral bound 300 page printouts where it's just they just printed out the website and circled on every page what's wrong with it you know and like we don't want to go through that like that's that's a lot of work you know so you know the more that we get out of the way early on the better and the more that the sort of agency is keeping the client legal team and their own legal team in the loop then the easier things go and sometimes you really do need to be reminding them about that because they just sort of oh yeah we'll run it by legal at the, at the end and we'll put it out the door and it really it can't work like that and be expected right. to run smoothly so. exactly um this feels weird <laughs> uh, i uh uh, you've mentioned a few times um, various organizations that you work with, different agencies that do different things, whether it's uh, trend watching or legal or even posing as suburban moms for a living. Yeah. And um, so I'm here, and I know you've mentioned you've worked at at least three different organizations. So I'm really curious about the ecosystem of people and organizations that go into making a viral ad and also with the life cycle of of a career and the kinds of things that you do um, in that in, in the span of your own existence as being part of that ecosystem? Um, I think that it took me a, a lot of time to understand this, but the whole like idea of an agency is really that a brand is going to go to this agency and then they're going to not necessarily be the people that are actually doing all of that campaign, all the nitty gritty stuff, but they're going to find you the best people to do it. And sometimes that's, you know, <coughs> subbing out or using vendors. Like I know you guys work with a lot of the huge agencies to do the viral interactive parts of their campaigns, and we're on the same side. We often, you know, we'll get hired by an agency. We'll just get hired by a media company that's, you know, pushing out the campaign on behalf of the agency. We'll get hired by the brand itself. And the idea is that you do the best campaign possible for whatever the budget is. So if that means... You know, I can't speak to it. I know that it's a lot more complicated on the production directors sort of, you know, there's whole companies that just make commercials, for example. Um, but as far as the, the career side, I just always really wanted to learn more. And I, you know, started working at this trend-watching company and kept talking about viral marketing. So when I found a viral marketing company where there was an opening, I was like, this is something that I'm passionate about. I want to learn more about it. And I worked there, and then I realized that I actually wanted to see what it was like not just doing the marketing of the website, but the whole thing in and of itself. And that's sort of my sort of path, and I think that there's probably going to be a next step for me too. But um, it's just always sort of wanting to figure out, oh, how does that work, how does that work, and, and sort of move around so you get a, a really cool big picture. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I've been with the same company for coming up on six years now, so I only know what it's like for us, really. Um, and it, it has changed a lot, though. I mean, it's it's always sort of evolving. And I think, I mean, the tricky part about it is that a lot of times, you know, you've got your sort of groups that you need to work with directly, like if we need to hire a director or, you know, someone to do uh, seating or, um, you know, hosting, stuff like that. You know, people that we need to contact directly to make sure that the portion of the project that we're doing is 
rock solid, you know, and that it's going to get out there and that it works and all this stuff. But then there are other teams that the agency has hired that we need to work with, you know, just as part of the mandate that comes with the project. Like, we've hired this media company, and they're going to handle the media buy, and they're going to handle sort of getting this game into other, like, gaming sites and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, it's that sort of thing where you don't always have control over that relationship. It's not always a good relationship, but that's sort of the landscape that comes with that particular project. Um, and then, you know, there's the whole sort of beyond what the agency's doing and what we're doing, what, what are the clients' needs and who are they already working with. Sometimes the client will have multiple ad agencies doing different brands or different parts of the brand, you know, and it can get pretty messy. Um, and again, it's different. It's everything, you know, the bigger the campaign, the more complicated it's going to be, the more sort of hands are going to be sort of touching every little bit. Um, and it's just the sort of thing that, while it's different from project to project, you just need to sort of get it all ironed out early on because it does need to factor into your thinking as well. It's like, well, if we're not going to be handling this, who is? You know, because if it's important to us, it's going to be important to them, and we need to know how we can sort of make this work. You know, in sort of like in a relationship sort of way. You know. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> all right. I mean, uh, thank you very much for this really, really excellent uh, conversation with uh, with the audience. Um, I would love to talk a little bit more, maybe perhaps even about the future of viral marketing, but we have to do that um, at the reception. So thank you very much. Thank you.